worship with the reading of God's Word in a minute. And um, in case you were not here last week or you missed out, that uh, Pastor Kerry explained that today we have a, a guest speaker from a ministry called Safe Families. And uh, it's probably familiar to some of you. Our church has connections with it. And so for the rest of the service uh, today, we're going to hear a little bit about Safe Families. And our message is going to uh, incorporate their ministry. And so I'm going to start this off, kick this off by reading from Matthew chapter 25. So if you have a Bible like most of you do, it's really cool to see people with their Bibles open right now. Um, We're going to read from Matthew 25, starting in verse 34, going to verse 40. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. It should be on the screen behind me. Let's read God's Word. Matthew 25, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Let's continue in singing. Belated Merry Christmas. I'm a couple days late. But... Uh, so glad to be here. I was uh, really inspired by, um, brother, what was your name? <laughs> Rick. Uh, I really appreciated your sharing the history. I've been with um, Lydia home for uh, the entire time. I actually uh, started working at Lydia home to help start Safe Families for Children. And in all the time I've been there, we're talking 13 years, uh, I've never heard that story. And that really um, puts a context to it then that helps me better appreciate uh, how Lydia Home Association, it's called Lydia Home Association now, was born. And you mentioned uh, at the, the end of what you were saying, what you were sharing with us, how uh, Lydia's ministry touches now all across the world and, and how it's moved into different areas of ministry. So there, there's an alternative high school there and there's um, preschool and there is a, a number of different things going on. But this, when Safe Families for Children... Uh, was started. Part of the motivation for that was that when the government kind of stepped into things with Lydia Home, and a lot of times we what we see is when uh, the government steps in to social services, sometimes the church steps back, and something then is missing. And so part of um, why Safe Families for Children was started was to bring the church 
back more directly into a ministry of caring for children when parents are not able to care for their children. And so it was started with the church in mind. And without the church, there would be no safe families for children. It really requires and, and depends on people who are Christ followers who will step up and reclaim a practice of Christian hospitality, biblical hospitality, a hospitality uh, in the Bible that we're going to look at in a little bit more detail in just a moment. On uh, Thanksgiving morning, I got a text notification on my phone. And I uh, went to open it up and look at it. And it was from a couple that I had met over 10 years ago. And they wrote, they sent a text to me that said, Happy Thanksgiving. You are a gift to me into this world. And it meant a lot to me for a number of different reasons. Number one, I wasn't the real hero in the situation. You see, this couple, Alex and Olga, when I first met them over ten years ago at Evanston North Shore Hospital, were heroin addicts. And they had just given birth to a baby. And because their baby was born with heroin in its system, they weren't allowed to take their baby home. And DCFS got involved. But instead of taking custody of that child, they called Safe Families for Children and allowed me, I went to the hospital there and met Alex and Olga and a woman named Jessica her husband Ben came and they picked up the baby to care for that baby for four days while mom, Olga completed uh, detox detox for substance abuse treatment and then her, her baby Nikolai went back to her and Alex was also in a treatment program and, and so part of the reason why that text message meant a lot to me was because I, I knew what it meant was that they are continuing to live out their recovery and their sobriety and their freedom from drugs. And I wasn't really surprised because I've heard from them at least once a year for the last 10 years. And every time I've heard from them where they say thank you, I know it's because they're living out the freedom that started. And I, uh, and I think that Safe Families for Children had a part in that. It was part of what God used for that. And it was because there was a family that was willing to open their hearts in their home 
to take in little Nikolai and care for him for a few days. To take in a child from parents they had never met who were complete strangers to them and host that child. And, and that allowed that child not to go into the DCFS system because once kids go into the system, it's a completely different matter for them to come back out. So this, this holiday is, uh, you can go to the first slide of the message, uh, it's, a, it's a holiday of, of hospitality. It's the season of hospitality. And a lot of us, when we think of uh, this season of, holiday, of a hospitality, we think of a certain uninvited guest, or actually we, we hope he'll show up. Uh, and that's the guy on your left. A lot of, some people will even leave out milk and cookies for him. Did anybody do that? Uh, but there's another guest on your right up in the slide who's the guest that really we really want to be present in our homes. And so the, the title of this message is Inviting Jesus into Your Home. And the passage that uh, was read earlier and that we're going to look at more closely gives us some specific ways to invite Jesus into our home. And when it comes right down to it, the ministry of Safe Families for Children is exactly this. It is to invite Jesus into our homes. And so, he comes in the form of an uninvited guest. Or of an invited guest. He, Jesus doesn't show up, but as we'll see in a moment, he responds to an invitation. And he brings the invisible gifts of a presence that feeds our souls. So, uh, if you have a Bible with you, uh, you can look at Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 31. And in a moment, we'll have it up on the screen as well. But just to give some context to this passage first, the theme of the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is the King. And his kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. And then part of what the, uh, Matthew, the gospel writer, does in his gospel is that he has passages that help us to evaluate our relationship with the king. And in particular... There is a question that is raised through his writing, and that question is this. Is this kingdom showing up in the way that we live our lives 
thus validating our connection to him. And Jesus, uh, or Matthew, has some passages uh, that are almost a little frightening because of what they say. One in particular is uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 through 23 where where, uh, Matthew says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. And he says, Many will come to me and say, Did did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not do miracles in your name? And Jesus says that he'll say to some of those people that he never knew them and to depart from him. That's, that's kind of frightening. That people could think that they have a relationship with Jesus, and yet they don't. And so Matthew writes, many of his, his writings address that particular issue. And this particular passage is one of those uh, that addresses that issue. Now, uh, I like a a, a particular quote from C.S. Lewis that addresses this issue. And that quote is, The Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Let me say that again. The Christian does not think that God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. And so it's very important to understand as we're looking at this passage that we, we don't get the wrong idea from this. We, do, we should not get the idea that our relationship with God is based on our works. As we sang in our worship songs today, our relationship with God is based entirely on the works of Jesus, his perfect sacrifice for sin on the cross. There is no other basis. It is grace from start to finish. Rather, this role is saying that when we are truly recipients of grace, we cannot remain unchanged. It doesn't make us perfect. We can all attest to that, I think. I certainly can. But it does change us. It it begins to put in us and grow in us The Father's heart, the heart he has, a heart of compassion for those who are hurting. And in fact, it is a heart that the Bible testifies is especially close to those who are hurting. If if you are here this morning 
and you are going through something, you can be sure of this, that God is paying special attention to you. As I heard about what happened with Pastor Kerry and his family, I know that God is especially paying special attention to that family. And He hurts with them in their hurting. So let's look at that passage, beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before Him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And so what we want to take a moment and recognize in this passage is an event that won't be missed. It speaks of this grand and glorious judgment event. And we should recognize that everything that happens here is based on divine action that God will successfully carry out the actions that are mentioned here. And it says that all the nations will be gathered. And we should understand this to mean all people from all nations, from all times, who have ever lived. No exceptions. And then we see a grand sorting take place. The sheep and the goats. Sorting out those with kingdom, what I call kingdom DNA, from those without it. And you go to the right. The sheep go to the right. Your right is over here. And the goats to the left, awaiting disposition. Again, though this passage does not mention the cross, we understand that the message, the primary message of the, of the Bible, not just the New Testament, but foreshadowed in the Old Testament, would be that Jesus would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He would be the perfect sacrifice, bearing the judgment for our sins. We should understand that as we look at this passage. And then we need to let this passage have its impact on us. And it should be a passage that humbles us, that shakes us just a little bit. Because we are, we are part of this scene. You know, when I think of the, the great gathering that happened here, how everyone will be gathered, I, I think of uh, the other great gathering of the Bible which is when uh, all the animals were gathered two by two to enter the ark. And I, I thought many times how I would have liked to have witnessed that. 
kind of a living zoo as the animals two by two. Uh, how they came, whether the angels gathered them, whether it seemed that they came on their own, they gathered and they went into the ark. What a magnificent scene that is. It's nothing compared to the scene that we see here. People, every color, every background, all gathered. And they go to the right or to the left. And to those on the right, it says, verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And notice here, it's a kingdom that has been prepared for the ones on the right, for the sheep, for you. It is a kingdom that has been prepared for you. It's a kingdom characterized by Paul in uh, his book, his writing to the Romans. He says the kingdom is that of righteousness, peace, and joy. That is the kingdom that was prepared for you. Come out of this world with all its turmoil, with all its struggle. Struggle against uh, things that happen to us that are not good. Struggle uh, with sin in ourselves. Come out of this and come into the kingdom prepared for you. This is a kingdom of what God always meant for His people since the creation of the world. But then, humanity made, through Adam and Eve, made the wrong choice. And so we have lived in a fallen world. And why do the sheep on the right receive this invitation? Verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And basically, he's saying, because in this world you acted with the values and qualities of the kingdom. Because you engaged with and responded in specific ways to meet the needs of the hurting. That's why you received this invitation. So again, understand, our relationship with God is based on the sacrifice of Jesus. And we become recipients of grace. But receiving grace changes us. It makes us a different people who act in a different way to others. We become a part of the kingdom of love and we live lifestyles of love. 
We look for ways. When we see people that are hurting, we don't respond in judgment. We respond in compassion. We don't think that we're better than people because we understand the only reason we are the way we are is because of God's grace. So, this is a celebration, really, of what grace does in our lives. It it is because you acted this way, because you received grace, and then because you extended that grace to others. Now, the thing that stands out, especially here, is the word me. That Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me. I was thirsty and you gave me. I was a stranger and you invited me. Jesus identifies with those who are hurting. Notice that the, what these people did for Jesus. They weren't miracles. They didn't heal the sick. They fed the hungry. They gave water to the thirsty. They invited strangers into their homes. They gave clothes to those who needed them. They visited those who were sick or those in prison. And these acts of service were counted as if they had been done for Jesus. And there's confusion. And then clarification. Because it says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and go visit you. And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. And there is in this a theme that we see throughout the Bible. A theme of God's special heart for the hurting. Thomas Merton wrote, Into this world, this demented inn, in which there is absolutely no room for him at all, Christ has come. But because he cannot be at home in it, because he is out of place in it, his place is with those who do not belong, who are, regard, who are rejected by power because they are regarded as weak. Those who are discredited, who are denied the very status of persons. 
with those for whom there is no room, Christ is present in the world. He is mysteriously present in those for whom there seems to be nothing but the world at its worst. When I was uh, earlier this year, I had the opportunity uh, to go to the Gulf Coast of Florida to open a new location for Safe Families for Children. Safe Families has started here, but has spread throughout the entire country, throughout the country of the United Kingdom, in Ontario, it's in Kenya, will be in Hong Kong, in Brazil soon. But one of our newest locations was there in the Gulf Coast of Florida. And there I found um, a town in that area, very close to uh, Naples, which is a very wealthy place. And there was a little town called Immokalee. And Immokalee was, uh, there's a Seminole Indian reservation there. In fact, I, I brought the message at the First Baptist Church, First Indian Baptist Church um, of Immokalee. And one of the ministries there that I connected with, they, they had to put up a video on their website. And they were wanting, you know, to invite people to help minister uh, with them in Immokalee because Immokalee was like a third, what you would find in a third world nation right here most of, it, most of the people that lived there were migrant workers and on, on uh, their invitation to ministry in Immokalee one of the things that they said was that they don't go minister to people to bring Jesus to the people. Now that's a little bit shocking. I was shocked too. And then they said, rather, we go to them so that they can bring Jesus to us. Now, so there's two kind of, we, there's a, something that needs to be clarified there. And what he was talking about was how Jesus identifies with the poor. How he identifies with people who are nothing in this world. How they are the people who have his heart in a special way. And so he wasn't saying anything about not bringing the gospel to people who didn't have the gospel. And... and you know, getting to know him, that his heart beats with that passion to bring the gospel to people. But he recognized that even in those who did not yet know the gospel, that God loved them and that they were special to him. And that when, when they did things to help those people, they were doing those things in a way that especially pleased God. That's what this passage is about. And it talks about feeding the hungry and giving the thirsty uh, something to drink. But I'm, 
I'm here especially for the one that says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. Because throughout the history of Christianity, this is something that Christians have done. They have opened their hearts and their homes to strangers, not to have them in for cookies and tea, but to have people come in and to actually care for them. Say families for children is, is almost in a way, it's kind of a notch down from this because we, we don't invite the parents in. We just invite the kids. We invite the kids. We help the parents to work through the issues which keep them from temporarily being able to parent. We help them work through that so their child, their, our children can go back to them. So this past week, one of the calls that came in was for uh, a mom with a three-year-old girl who was having a sickle cell flare-up and needed to be hospitalized. And she had no one to care for that child. Sometimes the calls we get are from domestic violence shelters. It's the, it's, if you've ever been, you'll see people who are starting all over again. Some of our calls come from Cook County Jail. Some of them call from, come from a Haymarket Center, which is a substance abuse treatment center. Many of them come from, from homeless shelters. Almost all of them come from families that have, are in vulnerable life situations and need help to care for their children. And so, I want to invite you to become a part of this movement. This movement of people who are opening their hearts and their homes for families in crisis. A number of years ago, not far from here, I met one of our families who was going to an apartment of a mom who had been homeless. She, when she got housing, she got a, a little bit, doing, made some choices that weren't the best for her. What she was doing, she was leaving her two preschool kids home alone and going out at night clubbing. And I know, we think the first thing we think is what a terrible thing how can a parent do that answer that question before we go on how does a parent do that you know what parent does that the parent that has never been parented and that was this woman her name's Donna that was Donna's case she she didn't do better because she did not know better. And so, fortunately for her, DCFS got involved but connected her with safe families. 
And fortunately for Donna, this woman, Katie, took in her children. And then as she and Donna and Katie talked, she recognized, Donna, uh, Katie recognized, Donna had never been parented. She needed to be parented. And so she, Katie, who lived uh, in the suburbs, would invite Donna to come into her home on weekends and mentor her. Mentor her in a relationship with Christ. Let her to relationship with Christ. Mentor her in how to be a parent to her children. And her children will return to her. And they continue to talk every week, several times a week. They still do almost ten years later. You see, what we're really doing is not just inviting people to care for for, uh, kids temporarily, but to care for their parents as well. We recognize that every parent that needs, say, families, is a parent that lacks support. Most of us, if we have kids and something happened where we could not parent them, there are people who would act just like they did for the, the children of the parents who died from the flu back in 1917. We, we know that we have relatives or we have other people in the church who will say, who will step in. But if they lack that, then we need them. At this time, I'd like to ask you to stand to your feet.